If you brought your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you have, turn with me to the book of Revelation, to the first chapter of the book of Revelation. Uh, I want to start there and read the first few verses, but I want to kind of take you on a tour or journey, I guess you might say, through the book of Revelation. I'm not going to hit on everything, not even nowhere near everything. And probably whatever your favorite pet peeve set of verses in Revelation where you, you know, think, boy, I'd really like to hear somebody explain that real good. I'm probably not going to touch on it tonight, okay? But I am going to go through the book and hit a few things in the book of Revelation tonight. So that's the, that's the last book you ought to be turned there. So I, let's read the first three verses and then we'll go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. And I will say this one more time. Pray for my voice. Uh, pray that God would give it strength. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you here tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the roof you put over our head. Lord, you've just been so good to us, all the blessings you poured out on us. Every breath that we draw, it's a gift from you, God. And Lord, we're not worthy. We don't deserve it. But Lord, you did it anyways. And Lord, I pray tonight that every single person here tonight would have a relationship with you would know you in the same personal way that I know you. I pray that each one here tonight would wholeheartedly accept and embrace and receive into their hearts your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that there's not a single one here tonight who has rejected Him, or if they have, that tonight would be the night that they would change things. Tonight would be the night that they would repent, that no one would leave here with a heart that's hardened, with a heart that's calloused. Lord, that not a single one would leave here rejecting Jesus as their personal Savior. Lord, my prayer tonight is that you would move in the hearts and the lives of each one that's here tonight. God, I pray that you would lift us up, that you would encourage us. God, that you would knit us together. God, that you would uh, strengthen us. Lord, that you would, uh, uh, Lord, that you'd pour your spirit out on us and in us. Lord, you'd fill us. Lord God, Lord, that we'd splash over on everyone that we'd come in contact with. God, I pray that we'd leave here on fire for you. God, my prayer tonight is is that we would leave here uh, uh, people with a heart uh, for you, uh, a hunger for righteousness and a burden for a lost and dying world lord my prayer is is that we would grow closer together that we would grow in spirit that we would grow in uh, in heart that we would grow in love that we would grow in number as well lord because my desire is to see souls added to your kingdom and lord so my prayer tonight 
is do what you know needs to be done in this service. Move amongst us in a mighty way. Lord, if they've not felt your presence tonight, God, pour yourself out in a way that they can't deny it. Lord, touch them here tonight. Lord, if there's any that's lost and undone, Lord, my prayer, of course, is that tonight's the night that they'd repent and get saved. If any's backslidden, Lord, my prayer is tonight's the night they get that sin out of the way, that wedge, the thing that's coming between you and them. Lord, if there's any that just needs something from you, God, we know that you're able and you're willing. Lord, I pray that they'd have enough faith to step out and ask you for it. Lord, my prayer tonight is you'd help me be the messenger that you've called me to be. Clear my mind of everything except for your message, your thoughts, your word. Place on my tongue the very words you'd have me to speak. Anoint me from on high, Lord, that I might be the preacher you've called me to be. Lord, help it to just flow from my spirit to theirs. Give us our hearts to ears to hear and hearts to, to understand. And we'll give you every bit of the glory for it. God, we love you tonight. We worship you. We praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. My desires, I've even said in my prayer tonight, but I've, hopefully I've made that abundantly clear to you over the years, is my desire, first of all, of course, is to see Christians grow, right? I want to see Christians grow big and strong. Maybe some of the saddest words that I think I've ever heard is I heard a pastor say one time years ago when I first started the ministry, he said, I, knew, I know how to grow a big church, but I do not know how to grow big Christians. I think that uh, uh, it's essential that Christians grow. So I'm talking spiritually, right? That they grow spiritually and become big, strong, spiritual Christians, right? Men and women of God that are men and women of faith. And I think that if that is the case, that they'll go out and win souls to Jesus Christ, to the kingdom of God. So I desire, I desire to see every single Christian, every single one of you, full of the Holy Spirit of God, living holy lives that please God. Right? It, 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 it grieves God when we do not live according to His Word. When we do not live holy lives, when we do not live pleasing lives, when we do not live the life that God has called for us to live, laid out for us to live, set as an example through His Son Jesus Christ and many other saints that have gone on before us, for us to live. It grieves His Holy Spirit when we don't do that. It grieves Him. And it grieves me and honestly it ought to grieve you as well. So my desire is to see each one of us to live holy lives that please God. Lives full of the Holy Spirit of God. Lives on fire for Him. But I'm going to have to say my greatest desire, which let me say also I'm confident is God's greatest desire as well, is to see the lost saved. Amen? Church, we need to be doing everything that we can to win the lost to Jesus Christ. 
You realize that we live in a town in the community. You know, we think we live in the Bible Belt, right? We know that we've got it better than uh, most of the rest of the world, even the most of the rest of this country. But there is still thousands and thousands of people that live just right here around us who are lost in a <coughs> excuse me, pray for my voice. Who are lost and undone. That if they were to die today, they would spend an eternity in a devil's hell. It was not made for them, right? God did not make it for him. He made it for the devil and his angels. But there's many that that's the path they're on. That's where they're headed if something doesn't change. God has called us, I think I talked about this morning, or the other day anyways, he has given us the message Right, that we're to deliver. Message of reconciliation, a message of redemption. It is the gospel message. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the best news the world has ever heard. You know, the truth is, is when we think about it, in most church services, and I don't know about tonight, this is a, this is a tight little group that's here tonight, and I hope and pray that every one of you are saved tonight. But... The truth is, every time that, uh, most every time that we come together in church service, most church services you set in, there's going to be people there amongst us who are lost. And I will say this, that even if there is no one in the congregation tonight that is lost, we come in contact with people who are lost every day. Our neighbors, our friends, the people we work with, right? Uh, the people we encounter as we go about our daily business and taking care of our things. Listen to me. Uh, we live in a day and a time where uh, the world tries to paint a picture that there's this gray area. There's somehow this in between. That there's this, well, if you don't, you know, do anything to hurt anybody, then you can be okay. That you can go your own path. You can make it your own way. Listen to me. Either you're a servant of Satan's or you're a servant of God's. That's all there is to it. Either you're in bondage uh, uh, to sin or you've been made free from sin by the Son. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Either there is no such thing as a carnal Christian. Right? That, that's a phrase, maybe, maybe it's not talked about a lot anymore, but used to be thrown around quite a bit. Right? There were some that believed there was such thing as a carnal Christian. You see it in the once saved, always saved groups in there. What they'll say is, is somebody, right, it's a way for them to justify their set of beliefs, their theology, right? Where this person who's come and recited some prayer at some point, made some trip to the altar, but went back out and lived like the rest of the world, right? And they would say, well, that's a carnal Christian, right? They're a Christian but then on that judgment day all their works are going to burn up in fire right they're carnal they live for the flesh but in the end they're saved they're redeemed glory to God that'd be nice if it was true but that's not what the Bible teaches there is no such thing as a carnal Christian you're either living for God or you're not it's as clear as that it's as simple as that you're either Led by the Spirit of God, or you're led by the flesh. And what I mean by the flesh is I mean our emotions, our wants, our desires. Right? You see what I'm saying? Either you're leading yourself around, or you're being led by the Spirit of God. It's one or the other, right? There is no in-between. There is no gray area. Either you're walking in the Spirit, 
or you're fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. You're either been the, the, one of the memory verses that Colvin's been reciting, uh, uh, 1 John 1, 9. Listen to me. It reminds me uh, or makes me think of this. You're either cleansed by the blood of the Lamb or you're not clean at all. You're not partially washed. You're not, you know, partially okay. You're either been made clean and are clean by the blood of the Lamb or you're not clean at all. You've either got the white robe of righteousness now, let me explain what I mean by the white robe of righteousness. I'm talking about where the Bible talks about we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about when we go to is it Revelation chapter 19, and it talks about the marriage supper, right? And it talks about the garment, the wedding garment that we're clothed with, right? The white robe of righteousness, right? It's not my righteousness, not your righteousness. It's not your good works. It's not my good works, because our good works, according to the prophet Isaiah, are nothing but filthy rags before. God. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The only way that you can be clothed by the righteousness of Jesus Christ is to put your faith in Him and what He did at Calvary's cross. It's not about what I did, it's about what He did. You're either in before God, in the eyes of God, you're either clothed in that white robe of righteousness or you're bare and naked before him. You might think, whoa, that's an embarrassing thought. It should be. It should be. We should be ashamed. Right in that part of when the Holy Spirit comes and he, he, he convicts us and, and, and our eyes are open to our sin, shouldn't it? It's all bare. We're naked. Right? Doesn't that go back to the Garden of Eden? What happened whenever they sinned? They realized they were naked before God. What did they do? They said, we'll make clothes for ourselves. We'll take fig leaves and sew aprons and we'll cover our nakedness. How'd that work out for them? Listen to me. That's what our righteousness is. Do you know how worthless a set of clothes, a set of fig leaves are? You talk about indecent, that's indecent. You talk about, I wouldn't want to get caught in a rainstorm with a set of fig leaves or clothes. I wouldn't want to get caught in a snowstorm. I wouldn't want to get caught out in the weather. I wouldn't want to go to Walmart wearing a set of fig leaves. Would you? But so many of us is okay to stand before God wearing nothing but our fig leaves. You're either clothed in the white robes of righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, or you're wearing your own righteousness, which is nothing but them fig leaves. In other words, you're naked before God. Listen, you might be sitting there saying, Preacher, what are you trying to say? Well, maybe I've went a long way around the barn to get here, but I'm telling you, you're either living it or you're not. How about that for plain speak? You're either living it or you're not. And trust me, I told you there's no carnal Christian. There is no middle ground, right? It matters. It makes a difference. Eternity hangs in the balance. Eternity depends on it. So I told you tonight 
I want to take just a little walk through the book of Revelation. I want to talk with you tonight about some of the things that John saw. I, I think it would be beneficial for us here this evening. You'll have to excuse me just a second. So what did John see? Well, the first thing that John saw, or the first thing I want to bring out that John saw, is that he saw into the future. You ever thought about that? You know, it tells us here in uh, the verses I just read to you, or, uh, yeah, it was the verses I just read to you here in this first chapter. It tells us that John is on the Isle of Patmos. I guess it's here in just a few verses on down from where I read. But it tells us that John is on the Isle of Patmos for the Word of God, right? For the, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. It tells us that he is there in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And God comes along and he shows John a few things, right? And one thing that he shows John is he shows John the future. If you look at verse 19 of the first chapter. He says, write the things which thou hast seen. Now, think about that for a minute. The things thou hast seen. That's past tense. Right? Write the things that's in the past. And the things which are. That's the present tense. What's going on right now? And the things which shall be hereafter. That's the future. Past, present, and future. If you go on a little farther to chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show you the things which must be hereafter. That's future. That's in the future. John saw into the future. Really, what John, if we, want to be te- if we want to be correct and be technical here, John saw, what John saw was eternity. I think it was last week I preached on eternity. John saw eternity. eternity. What's eternity? Eternity is when time is no more. Right? I went through all of that, right? No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, right? No more suffering, no more sin, no more time. That's what eternity is. John saw, as we look into this, right, John saw eternity. John saw the future. John saw what is ahead of us from this point in time right now. John saw the end of the world, right? John saw uh, the tribulation. John saw uh, the battle of Armageddon. John saw the second coming of Jesus Christ. John saw the millennial reign of Christ and Satan's final defeat. John saw the end of Satan, saw him cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. John saw the end of sin. And John saw the final triumph of Christ's kingdom here on the earth. John saw all these things and many more that are still in our future. But that's not all of what John saw. John saw the holy city. What I read to you about... Uh, if that was last week, and it was to you guys I preached it. Revelation, you can correct me later if it wasn't. I think it was. Revelation chapter 21. 
first few verses. I read it to somebody here recently. It says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these are the words of truth and faithful. You know what John saw? He said John saw that holy city. John saw, the Bible talks about in the book of Hebrews, that Abraham looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. John saw the very city that Abraham was looking for. John saw the new heavens and the new earth. They were birthed out of these old heavens and these old earth, right? John saw the restoration of everything. Right, He saw the restoration of everything uh, back to the way that God had originally created it. Right, If you go to Genesis chapter 1, you'll see that I think it's after the third and the fourth day that uh, God looked at everything that he made and said it was good. And then on the sixth day, he looked back at all of his creation that he made over the six days and he said it was very good. Right, So there we have right uh, the perfect, uh, perfect earth, the perfect creation, a garden of Eden. And he sets the man and the woman in it. Now, we don't know how long it takes for them to fall, sin and fall, but I don't think it took real long. And when sin entered into the world, the world was broken. It's not very good any longer. Silly, dumb, old, you can call me what you want, I don't really care. This is what I think. I think this world is not only broken spiritually, not only is our relationship broken with God, but I think the earth is physically broken as well. I think the natural creation is broken. I think when we look at it, nothing is the way that God intended for it to be. We look out and we see the ruins of a perfect earth and we see some of the beauty of the original creation which reflects the creator, but we also see something that is sick with sin, that is decaying, that is dying, full of disease. Running down. I actually think, and this is how silly I am, but you know we've got these fault lines in the earth. And they move, they shift, and that's an earthquake. I actually think before the flood, those weren't there. The flood is God's judgment for sin the first time on the entire world. The Bible says when you read about that, that the fountains of the deep broke up. And water come from the ground up and come from the sky down. I actually think them fractures in the earth 
I think that's what it's talking about when it says the fountains of the deep broke. I think that's where those come from. I think we have a physical picture of a broken earth. Think about it. Think about an egg with cracks all over it. Think about how fragile things are there. John saw all that fixed. John saw the restoration. Right? The verses I just read to you, I think it was in the first verse, it said there's no more sea. I honestly think the ocean and the sea is what's left over uh, from the flood. I really do. I, I, I admit I'm simple. That may not be it. But I kind of think it is. All of that, now I think that's another reason why the Bible says it'll be no more. The remnants, right, from all the destruction that the sin has caused and all, all of it, right, it'll be fixed. They'll all be restored. New heaven and new earth. What does it say? The lamb will lay down with the wolf, right? And it talks about the lion being right there, the child playing with the poisonous snake, right? All of creation will be fixed, it'll be restored. But yet, you know, the part that I can't understand is I look at, I look at Eden and see that that's God's garden, that's the perfect earth. But yet the new Jerusalem, the holy city that John saw, is going to be even better than that. It's perfection, but better. Oh, glory to God, the things that God has in store for those that love Him. I believe, I believe it's beyond what we can truly comprehend. I know by the Spirit He showed us a few things, but I believe it's really beyond our human comprehension. So, what did John see here when he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day on the Isle of Patmos? He saw that holy city. He saw things set back right to when they were very good. I guess if, if that, that new city, if that's perfection but better, then that would be like my dad used to say, even gooder. Very gooder. Can you say that? I don't know. But it will be even better. Something else that John saw was John saw Jesus. If you go back to chapter 1, let me read to you the description because it's a little bit different than the description that we're used to. Verse 12 is where it begins. John 1.12 says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto the fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sword Two or when a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. John saw our Redeemer. John saw 
our Savior. John saw uh, uh, the only begotten Son of God. John saw the light of that city. You ever thought about that as you go on and read, right? I, I know I said this to you before, but the first 13 verses in the Word of God in Genesis chapter 1, the first 13 verses you see that there is light, but there is no sun. S-U-N, fireball in the sky. The last 26 verses, exactly twice as long, of the scriptures, you see the same scenario. There is light, Right? It says it's daytime in the city all the time. It's always light there. But there is no sun in the sky, S-U-N, because the Son of God is the light thereof. John saw the light of that city. John saw, you see, John had seen Jesus while he ministered here. You thought about this. John walked with Jesus here on the face of this earth during his earthly ministry. John ministered with him here on earth during those three years that he was here and he ministered. John had also seen Jesus in his glorified state on the Mount of Transfiguration. John was one of the very few that got to see that. And John had also had the privilege of seeing the resurrected, right? Seeing Jesus in his resurrected body after God had raised him from the dead. But the description is yet different here. Because now for the first time, John sees Jesus in all of his glory. Or in the most glories that he had ever seen until this point. So John saw Jesus. But there's one more thing that stood out and it's the whole reason that I want to talk to you tonight. Is in chapter 7. Let me read another verse to you. Chapter 7. I want to read it to you first and see if you pick up on it before I tell you. I'd read this I don't know how many times and had never noticed this before. Not like this. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. Remember, John is seen in eternity. John is seen past, is seen past, present, and future. John is seen beyond the end of time. Verse 9, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. You ever thought about who that great multitude is? The great multitude are those, the Bible says, which have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see, John saw all of the redeemed of all time. All of them. Think about that. Right? That's more than I can really wrap my mind around. John saw all of the redeemed. That means he saw every single person that has ever been saved throughout all of time. Now, he saw them in that multitude, in that big crowd. From this point in time that we stand at right now, that means past, present, and future. So I got one question for you tonight. I think there's only one question that really matters. 
did John see you? Did John see you? If God transported him to eternity, or in the spirit anyway, where he saw all the redeemed of all time, that means if you're saved, right? That means if you're part of the redeemed, you're saved, right? You endure to the end. That means you and I would be in this group. My question to you tonight is, did John see you? And if you can answer and say, yes, yes, John saw me, then let me ask you, what about those that you care the most about? What about your kids? What about your grandkids? What about those ones that we should be reaching with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Did John see him? Did John see him? You might sit there and say, I don't know. Well, let me tell you something. I'll tell you how I want to leave this world. I want to stand before God one day and say, I've done everything. I've done everything I could to make sure that John saw them, to make sure they were part of that group, that multitude, the redeemed of all time. I went too far. I've done too much. I've done everything. I give it all. What about you tonight? How far are you willing to go? Jennifer, I want a song of invitation. I don't even know what you kind of message you'd call this. It's not really a call for anything except get right and get out there and do what God asked us to do. So I want to ask you to stand to your feet as she's starting to play. And I want you to know the altar is open. I want you to know here's a time and a place to come and pray. Here's a time and place if God's burdened your heart with somebody. Here's a time to call their name out before God. You got a heavy burden for somebody, you want to weep over them, come and weep over them. You got some things going on in your own life that's hindering your walk with God. Now's the time to come and get those things straightened out. If you've got a need, if you've got a heavy burden, I want you to come tonight. If you're lost and undone, please, I'm begging you, do not leave here until you've gotten things right with God. If there's somebody in your life, somebody you care about, if God is putting somebody on your mind right now, I'm asking you, would you come and pray for them? Would you at least do that? Would you come and pray for them tonight? If you agree with me that we stand in need of revival, would you come and pray? Whatever it is, please, I'm begging you, church, now is the time. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't wait until tomorrow. Don't wait until next week. It may be too late. Would you come? Would you come tonight? Whatever it is, would you come? Let us lift our voices up together to the Lord. Would you come tonight?